Let's get going in Ephesians tonight. In our Ephesians study, this is our ninth lesson. And I want to, um, this is going to be one of those titles, The Inseparable Bond Between Grace and Works. The kind of title that you can't, I don't want to monkey around a lot up front in this message because as a content creator, um, <laughs> people come looking for content. And what do they look at? Titles. Titles sometimes cause them to hit play. Well, if you're in the grace circles, this sort of grace message, grace community, and you're looking for grace messages, when you come across someone like me, who really people know as grace ministries, and you see a sermon titled The Inseparable Bond Between Grace and Works, you're going to hit play. And you need something in the first five minutes to keep you there. So let's start here and read it first, shall we? Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8, 9, and 10. This is our text. We, it, this is, we ended at 7. We're going to go right into 8. We will not get past 10 because this is probably one of the most famous passages in Ephesians. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Personally, I think both the grace and the faith are gifts of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is why I want to title this. I'm not giving away up front the inseparable bond between grace and works, but I want you to notice how you can't get around the fact that this verse, these verses, give you a salvation by grace, not a salvation of works. God has been doing a work so that you will end up in good works. A salvation of grace, not because you worked for it. A working God has made you work. You cannot get around that Paul's great passage of grace includes both God working, you not working, and ultimately you working. (laughs) There's an inseparable bond in Paul's theology between the grace of God and the work of God and the grace of God, and the work of man. And what we've done predominantly when we use the phrase grace and works is we've only emphasized these three words in verse 9. Not of works. And so we say grace, not of works. And we conveniently leave out God's work And we conveniently leave out where we're supposed to end up, which is good works. You cannot, for sake of convenience, do whatever you want to do with grace. Grace is God's act, not ours. It's not our response to God that is grace. It's God's proactiveness in us that is grace. We respond to it, hopefully, through faith. We have the chance to respond to it through works. If we respond to it through faith, salvation. If we respond to it through works, rejection. Rejection on both God's part and our part. Because truly God cannot receive us based upon our performance. And in a sense, that is a rejection of us. But we are also rejecting the goodness and the grace of God when we try to perform and gear up and do to get. Because in the do to get department, you can't do enough to get. He's so good at what he's given, the gifts, you know, be able to earn it. And so there's an inseparable bond 
between the grace of God and the working of the grace of God. There's an inseparable bond between the grace of God and the works that come out of me as an individual in this. And so I want to really, in, in, in staying in these three verses, I really want to try to land in three spots tonight. Um, some of them seem pretty obvious, and then some of them are a little less so. And that might be because sometimes we become such, we become so familiar with a topic that we don't know it as good as we think we do. If you know what I mean. Like we become so familiar with it, we stop wrestling with it. We stop thinking about the questions we forgot to ask. And I don't want to get there with the grace of God any more than I want to get there with Jesus. Because when that happens, you lose the wonder. You lose the wonder of grace. You lose the wonder of Jesus. Um, I've met a lot of Christians in my life. And I've met many of them, and I don't want to try to dare give a percentage, but many of them have lost the wonder of Jesus. They've lost the wonder of His person. They're not infatuated with the fact that He's alive anymore. It's just sort of, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's my faith. And you think, if He's really resurrected, that's awfully blasé about an actually resurrected Savior, which makes me wonder, and I don't like this side of me, but it's me being real, it makes me wonder if they've ever actually believed in a resurrected Savior. Because if you really believed in Him, how could you ever be blasé about the fact that someone raised from the dead? It was the most unpredictable thing. I know I'm in a tangent here, but it was the most unpredictable thing that would happen in the ministry of Jesus. 400 plus years before Christ, Plato prophesied the crucifixion. But he couldn't even guess about the resurrection. He prophesied the crucifixion because he wrote the Republic. And in the Republic, he said, if a man ever comes and he is the embodiment of good and he's kind and he's self-sacrificing, we will kill him. And boom, was he right. And four centuries later, they killed him. But we, he couldn't see 72 hours into the future past the cross because it just doesn't make sense that he's alive. And I am infatuated with that, that he is alive. And that's remarkable to me. And I want that same, that's childlike wonder. I want that same childlike wonder over the grace of God because anything less than that kind of wonder and you wander in with your performance. And you know what? I deserve this, God. And it's, man, guys, this is so easy. It sneaks into your prayer life. Like, Lord, I've been doing this and this and this and I'm really just expecting you're going to bless me. And God goes, I didn't think you, I thought you wanted grace. You just listed off three things you did this week. Do you want grace or do you want to get paid? <laughs> and so I, want to, I don't want to lose that wonder. And, and for me, re-exploring the, bind, the binding between grace and works, a, a topic that I 10 years ago would have said, they're not inseparably bound together. In fact, they can't be bound together. Re-exploring that to me is a great excitement because it, it renews a passion in me towards this entire thing. So let me try to do this in three ways. Let's start here. The first work of grace, and this is Paul White language, okay? Not necessarily Apostle Paul language. I'm just saying that up front. This is how I would, that's how I want to lay this out tonight. The first work of grace is the revelation that God loved us enough to send Jesus. Our faith grows around the revelation of the gift. Our faith grows the more we start to know about the gift. Now, the reason I say this is the first work of grace, because this is how most of us came to Jesus, I don't need to go around tonight and ask for your testimony, but I'm going to get really close. 
okay, without mentioning your past, here's what your salvation sounded like. At least I'm, I'm going to be in the ballpark. I'm going to be really close to where you were. I might even nail it with some of you. You heard that God loved you. And he loved you so much that he sent his only son to die on your behalf. And you believed that piece of information was worth giving your life to. I pretty much nailed your conversion. Now, I didn't mention hell. I didn't mention heaven. I didn't even mention sin. Because I didn't have to. Because your grace didn't start with a revelation of hell. Grace didn't start with a revelation of your sin. Grace didn't start with a revelation of heaven. What grace started with for you was a revelation of God loves you. For God, you know why John 3.16 means so much to us? Because it's the first step of grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The first revelation of grace that all of us had is God loves me in spite of myself. Now, let me tear off some of your salvations. Some of us, either in this room or watching or listening, maybe salvation was from a life of just darkness and sin. And we were going to die physically if we didn't come to Jesus. And we needed a life change in the worst way. And so we found out God loved us in spite of ourselves. And that was hard to believe because we were pretty bad. Surely he has never met a sinner like me. And yet we started to buy into it. The more I heard about the gift, the more my faith grew, boom, received Jesus. For others, it was a salvation of missing hell. It was a salvation that was almost inherited. Your mom, your dad were saved. You were raised in a church. You didn't really have any other options. It's not like they lined up Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, gave you all the points, and then said, now pick not like you came to Jesus because you had a bunch of religions on the menu and you picked the one that tasted the best. You just picked the one you went to every Sunday because that's where mom and dad, they put you in a car and they drove you to this building and they got you out and they took you to Sunday school. You went to children's church and they put the little felt person on the board and you gave money in the offering and you went to VBS and you accepted Jesus. And I don't mean accepted Jesus. I'm not air quoting it because you didn't really find him. It was just your first taste of grace. But sure to God, it wasn't your last because if it was your last, you probably wouldn't be here on Tuesday night. Because that's the difference sometimes, is that we get a taste of the grace of God, how good He is, how much He loves us. And we don't ever really go past that. Although, here's the next step. This is the, the one that made a huge impact in my life and probably a lot of you. I call this the second work of grace. And I was not really second. Grace never stops working, but let's just do it. The second work of grace, I'm calling the message of grace. I'm not a big fan of the phrase message of grace, grace message, whatever. But what else are we going to say? Because we've been impacted by grace. And that releases us from performance, demands, or working to please God. Okay, so that one sounds a little bit like this. You know, I gave my heart to Jesus a long time ago. But then I heard the message of grace. Or... Then I found grace. I'm going to say it to you the way I've heard it said to me all over the world. Oh, I got saved years ago, but then I found grace. Oh, I, I was a Christian, but then I heard the grace message. Oh, I, I loved the Lord. And I live for God. But then I read so-and-so's book. Insert so-and-so here. Insert title here. And after that, I was ruined, man. I couldn't go back to the way I was. I had seen the grace of God. Okay, I call that a second work of grace. I know it's not the only the second time grace has worked in your life. 
But I also liken that to us sort of getting saved all over again. You know what I mean? It happened to me because my first work of grace was as a little kid on a Sunday night in 1983, going down to an altar and asking Jesus to come into my heart because I didn't want to go to hell. Straight up. That was why I accepted Jesus. But my smorgasbord was very narrow as well. It's not as if I'd been introduced to other religions. I had been taken to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night since I was a little baby and taken to evangelistic meetings every night of my life as my dad traveled and preached. I didn't have any other choices except Christianity, and I accepted Jesus then. Well, I have to then go live in the real world too with the Jesus that I've encountered. And along the way, I went into ministry and got married and had kids and pastored churches and did revivals and did all the things that you do in ministry. And then as that got heavier and heavier and that load became harder to bear because I needed to know something that I had forgotten or that I had never encountered. And what I eventually learned was that I couldn't do enough of that stuff to please God and that my anointing wasn't contingent on me being good. And you can call that the message of grace. You can call that the finished work. You can call that the kingdom. You can call it whatever you want, but it was where grace made a turn in my life. I call it, I, in a way, that was when I got born again again. That was the message of grace for me. That was a message of grace for a lot of people. A lot of people that are watching, a lot of people that are listening are only watching and listening to this guy because they had a revelation of grace. And this was one of the voices that helped them get there. Okay? Um, so for me, when I look at this, it has to do with the grace of God saved me initially, but the grace of God never let me go and kept sort of chasing and pursuing me until I arrived at the moment in my life where I could have a revelation of the fullness of that grace. And what that caused me to do is just lay stuff down. Then I didn't have to perform to be saved. I didn't have demands over my head in order to be anointed. I didn't have to work to please God. Um, or it sounds a little bit like this. You don't have to put the scriptures back up, but remember what Paul said. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of works. Not of works to me is the second thing. That's the second work of grace where you go, okay, it's not works that did it. And then this one to me is the third, but I don't like to call it third, so let's call it ongoing. The ongoing revelation of grace serves as an ever-present teacher. It is at this point that many people stall out. I'm going slow here because I want you to kind of think about each one of these sentences. Because I tried to put thought into them too, is to say, how would I say this in one sermon, in one shot, the way I really see it? They were excited by grace. And I capitalized grace, and you don't have to, but I did because we're using it as a quote-unquote message. So I thought, let's give it a name. They were excited by grace in the way that we're excited by new information. Like we learn something new, we want other people to know it. A little bit like when you got saved. because This is how people respond to hearing about grace. It liberated them from obligate... I don't want to skip that word. I thought about that word, so let me start over. It simply liberated them from obligation. I say simply... Because that's really what the revelation was to them. They heard about grace one Sunday, or they read a book, or they started working with this guy, or they started watching this YouTube preacher, and they heard about grace, and they got really pumped because they went, oh, I don't have to do all this stuff. You mean I'll make it anyway? I would go to heaven anyway if I didn't do that, and didn't go there, and didn't give that, and didn't pay that, and didn't... You mean I could get off the hook for all this stuff I've been doing, all these hoops I've been jumping through. I could be just as saved... If I didn't do those things, 
And they get, their minds are blown. They get all excited and they send me an email about how free they are and how they were dying in their church and how liberated they've been by this beautiful message of grace. I can't get enough. I've been clicking on all your videos. I need to know more about God's grace. Great, wonderful. I got a bunch of stuff I can send you. Keep watching. But the stall out comes in a lot of people right here because they don't really embrace the person of Jesus and his constant instruction in their life. They just got a message that set them free. And part of that is my fault. And, and guys and gals like me, we're just really excited about grace. And we just want you to be free. And we want you to be excited about it. But we don't often take the, enough time to take you into that next steps to say, this isn't just a message that when you get a revelation of it, you get free and you drop your shackles and that's it. This is the beginning of the rest of your life. This is liberty from what you've thought you had to do, but it's not just liberty from, it's liberty to. And welcome to the family of God where Jesus lives in you, walks with you, talks with you, goes home with you, goes to work with you, gets in your car, wherever you go, he goes. And you aren't performing for him. You are in love with him. You have a relationship in which he wants nothing but the real you. None of these lies and masks and religious performances. You've been freed from all the religious hoops you have to jump through because you've met the man, Jesus, and he goes, hey, I love you without all that junk. So you don't have to do that stuff for me. I'm in love with you without this stuff. This stuff's clouding our relationship. You've confused this stuff with me and my dad. That's not us. We, we don't need any of that stuff to love you. And because we're excited to drop the stuff, we're like slaves. We're like we've been in prison. And they took our handcuffs off and they opened this, the door. And we went nuts. <laughs> and we ran out of the jail cell. And in a lot of cases, we ran right out to do some stuff we were never able to do before. And this is where we are so happy to be freed from the law that we forget that we met Jesus that Jesus walks with us and that he talks with us and that he's working in us and that he has never stopped walking and talking and working and that what he wants is a relationship of grace where he gets to be good to you because of who you are, not because of what you do. But that that relationship doesn't stop with you just receiving grace and then ignoring your Savior. But it grows every day as you receive his grace and your relationship grows to be, why are you here with me? You see, Lord, if you want this kind of relationship, what are we supposed to do? Because all I've ever known about Christianity is do stuff to get to heaven. So what am I supposed to do? So I want to I pause for a second. I want to address something I said a second ago that I think needs said I don't say it enough. I believe it with all my heart. I've believed it for a long time. I just don't say it out loud enough. So let me start over and say it this way. When you met Christ, you received saving grace. And if you, as far as I'm concerned, grace is not of works. Therefore, no matter what work you do, grace does its work. Okay? So your salvation in Him is absolutely secure. If you want to go out here and live like an animal... Your salvation is secure. 
But the answer to the question is, if I go out here and live like an animal, am I still saved? My answer to that is, well, it depends on how saved you want to be. Now, if all you want to do is be saved and go to heaven, welcome to the family of God. If the extent of your meeting Jesus is, I just don't want to go to hell. <laughs> well, welcome to heaven on earth. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'll remember you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Paradise coming your way. If that's how saved you want to be, welcome to the family. But if you'd like to be saved from the stuff, maybe you'd like to be saved from you. Maybe you'd like to be saved from your past. Maybe you'd like to be saved from the forces of darkness. Maybe you'd like to be saved from the system of this world. Maybe you'd like to be saved from the snake inside of you that's wrapped around the tree of your life and who keeps having negative conversations with you and hurting your self-image and destroying your identity. And if you don't get rid of him, he's getting in, turning into a big dragon with seven heads and seven horns. And maybe you'd like to be saved from him owning your life. And if you'd like that, then welcome to the grace life where Jesus walks alongside of you and keeps on saving you. So my question is never, can I stay saved? My question for you is how saved would you like to be? So if you'd like to be, and I know this sounds silly in, in, in terms of grace and works, but I'm going to use it anyway. If you'd like to be more saved, if you'd like to be more saved, if you'd like to have salvation permeate different areas of your life, then come walk with Jesus. Because see, really, that's what he's inviting you to do. When he says, come be my disciple, he's inviting you to invite him into the areas of your life. He's inviting you to invite him into the moments and the stuff that needs saved. And if all we do is receive his grace and his goodness for salvation, but we don't receive his life for our life, then we have grace to make it to heaven. If that was your end game, welcome home. But if you've met Jesus, there's a lot of things to be saved from and only in Christ can they happen? So this is that ongoing revelation. Now I want to take you to a text that I think talks about this teaching. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. If you don't have this as part of your sort of grace theology, add it. In fact, Titus 2, 11 and 12 are, are two of those passages that if we were teaching these as sort of rapidly as we are grace, freedom from works, we'd realize that grace never stops teaching because the grace of God that brings salvation, there's that first grace, has appeared to all men teaching us. Look at that progressive, look at that verb. Keeps on teaching us. Grace didn't teach you. This, is, this always kind of cracks me up when people go, yeah, I've heard that, I learned that grace stuff. I go, oh, you got, you got that one down, didn't you? I, I learned that grace message. I go, okay. See, because Paul, when he wrote to his friend Titus, he thought that grace kick-started your salvation, but then didn't leave you alone. Like it kept chasing you. The grace of Jesus keeps chasing you. It chases you so that it can teach you to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So if I encounter people who say they know the grace of God, but they don't live soberly, righteously, and godly in the world then I know they, they read so-and-so's book on grace and they got really excited they didn't have to go to church three times a week. <laughs> That's, that was grace to them. And hey, praise God, because a lot of people are going to church and don't want to. Like, they hate it. 
They're only going because they have to, because they think if they skip, they'll go to hell. I was there. I went for a long time thinking that if I don't go, I'm going to bust. I, this is what we said. You're going to bust hell wide open. And I believed it. I don't know what that meant, but it was also going to go in a handbasket. And I didn't know how you got in a handbasket or why anybody was carrying a handbasket to hell, but you were going there in that too. And so, yes, a lot of stuff gets laid down because you're tired and you're weary. But grace isn't for just laying down. Grace is for picking up the responsibility of following Jesus. And so if you're not living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, I don't mean you didn't get saved. I mean you stopped at salvation. You just stopped. You accepted Jesus and you stopped. And you just went out and lived the way you were living before you met him. And I don't believe for a moment that the grace of God is leaving you alone. And so if you're listening, and, uh, and so why then do I need to read? Why do I need to pray? Why do I need to go? Oh, for the very fact that you are so pressed by this world that in the environments of reading, praying, and being in communion with other believers, you start to have spiritual formation and become the person that you were saved to be because you can't do it by yourself. It's just a fact. You just can't do it by yourself. It happens in community. So then Bible reading and prayer time and church going and giving stop to be obligations for heaven and they start to be obligations from heaven. So you're already experiencing heaven in your heart. Man, I need my brothers, my sisters. Like I'm, I, I need to, to sow into this ministry. I need to be a part of this church. I need to put, pick my Bible up today and get a couple chapters in and see Jesus. I need it. I feel it. There's a... There's an emptiness in here. There's, there's something in me that's screaming out, it's crying out, that wants to have a, that relationship. And that isn't something you should suppress. That is something you should embrace. That is the teaching us part of grace. Grace has appeared teaching us to deny. Denying is part of our grace. We deny and we live. We deny and we live. But it's grace that teaches us what to deny and it's grace that teaches us how to live. Now, for a lot of us, the reason why denial is such a tough part to receive in the message of grace is because denial is all we ever heard. All we ever heard is what we're supposed to stop doing, right? I'm going to preach a sermon to you tonight, and in this, the Lord's going to show you some things you need to get right. And, you, man, I get scared before it even got started. I'm like, here we go. And you want to talk about low-hanging fruit is find out what's wrong with people. I mean, you don't even need to study. Yeah. In preaching, you really don't. Just turn on the TV for like 10 minutes before you go to church. Watch a couple of newscasts, you know, span the globe a little bit on your phone before you get up. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at this guy. Then get really mad and toss it and then get up, read one verse, and then just get at it on sin. Deny, 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 deny. If you don't, God's going to do this. And the reality is, is that grace is trying to walk us into the arena of denial of the stuff that doesn't look like us. But we become resistant whenever denial is our, is our key to heaven. See, denial is not your key to salvation. You, grace of God brought salvation. Let's just go right here. The grace of God brings salvation. Stop. What brought your salvation? Grace. Salvation is not your work. I mean, you, <laughs> grace did that. 
salvation is a work of God on you. Congratulations, you didn't do anything to accept, to, re- to receive it. It was only by faith. You just believed it. And as you believed it, it went to work. It's appeared to all men. Grace, now that it's here, is teaching us. So te- getting up and preaching people denial without grace is going to lead you to religion and legalism. And that's where a lot of us have gotten trapped, is we've gotten really good at legalism and religion because we're really bad at grace. And I think we're really bad at grace because grace has just become the flavor of the week. Like you need to have it in your title, but you don't need to have it in your actual tweet. You know, you don't need to actually post anything gracious. You just need to say that you're a grace person. Because I'm amazed at how many of us are grace people that don't talk like grace people. Like we're grace ministers, but we don't minister grace. We're grace churches, but we don't have grace on people in our church that fail. We don't have grace for sinners. It's like a big building full of saints. No. The church is a big building full of sinners. Someone called me this last week and said, how do I know if I can really take communion? Shouldn't I be self-introspective? I said, listen, commune, if you are living good, you are disqualified for communion. (laughs) Communion is for broken people who receive his brokenness in exchange for their brokenness. If you come to the table with nothing, it's not for you. The table of the Lord is the perfection on his side of the table pushed across to the Peter, James, Johns, and Judas Iscariots on the other side of the table. Which side of the table do you think you are on? (laughs) You belong over there on that other side of the table so you can receive the goodness of who he is. The church is a place of grace, showering grace on people, but not a place of ungodliness and worldly lusts. Instead, a place where people are taught about that grace so that they learn how to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And they learn what it means to live soberly and righteous, but we don't put it up as a list of instructions and have people jump, jump, jump. How you been doing this week? Jump, get up here. We know everybody's failing and this makes for cheap invitations. A lot of which are just to validate sermons. We're going to open these altars now. And if you haven't made that jump, if you've been failing this week in that jump, get on up here and get right with God. And then everybody comes forward because what idiot thinks they've made the jump? And then you can leave and go, boy, altars were full. God's doing a work. But we're not introducing anyone to the progressive revelation of the grace of God that releases us. So for the one millionth time, grace is more than a doctrine. It is more than release from. It's the introduction to. Welcome to the life of God lived out on the earth. Let me go back through these in Ephesians 2. By grace we're saved through faith. All of us that come to Christ, that's how we got here. That's not of yourselves. You didn't do anything to to get there. Congratulations, you did nothing. Your whole salvation is the gift of God. This, This gift should be shouted from the housetops. God gave it to us. It's wrapped up in the person of Jesus. He offered Jesus for the world. By the way, how can we ever deny anybody from the Lord's table if it's a gift? Can we ever deny anybody from grace of God if it's a gift? You don't qualify for gifts. You just get gifts because people want to give them to you. So God chose to give us a gift, but look what God won't take. You, You don't get it by working. Because if you could get it by working, people would brag. 
Do people brag? Good God, do people brag. We are built on bragging. <laughs> we are built on the boast of what we've been able to do and what we've overcome and stories of our victory and stories. Of... Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But what has actually happened is we're His works. We are the workmanship of God. He made us in Christ. I love that. Where were you created? In Christ. He looked into Christ and He formed you. He didn't form you out here, send Jesus over here, cross his fingers and hope you meet. Maybe maybe somehow through the... They'll meet up. No, he looked into his son and pulled out a new creation. I'm not even going to explain that to you because I don't even understand it. I mean, really, that's, that's, all, that's off the charts good. He created us in Christ. He, took, he looked at Jesus and he pulled a new man out of the tomb in Jesus and we're in it. Whew. But we're not just created. We're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So God's end game, beforehand preparation, God's end game was that his creations would walk in his goodness. Or let's say it this way. The ongoing work of grace is the revelation that we are the masterpiece of God created to do good works in the world. We do not bring the kingdom to earth. It's already here. We just live it out. I threw that last line in because I was asked recently, how do, I, how do I bring the kingdom to my work and to my church and to my family and to my school? And I said, you don't. Jesus said the kingdom has come in him and, and it's a seed that's dropped into the ground. The kingdom's growing whether you like it or not. I mean, you don't, you don't actually spread the kingdom. You just live in it and you live out of it. If you really want to do your part in the kingdom, you go love like your, your savior. And that spreads the kingdom person to person. This is why other people matter, because we are created to do good works. I'm not going to go so far as to say that if you're not, do, that if you're not doing good works, you're some sort of big failure or you're some sort of big disappointment. No. But I do want to show you that the Apostle Paul t- comes about as close to that as you can come. Um, and I want to set it up with one more thought that really kind of lays our title out. The inseparable bond between grace and works. Here's the answer to our title. The inseparable bond between grace and works is that grace works. It works as our salvation and it creates works within us. The person impacted by grace that does not walk in good works is eventually, quote unquote, unprofitable. Okay, what in the world would it mean to be unprofitable? Let's close with Titus chapter 3. Back to Titus. Titus 2 gave us that great grace teaches. Watch this extended run in Titus chapter 3 verse 4. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Time out. What was last week's title? Grace and kindness. Okay. So Paul loves this theme. He loves to introduce grace as the kindness of God. In the letter to Titus, same thing. Because Paul's the writer here, by the way. When the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, it was not by works of righteousness. This sounds an awful lot like Ephesians 2, by the way. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it was according to His mercy that He saved us. And here's how He did it. He washed us and He regened us. That's that word. He regened me. He changed. That's new creation. I'm not who I used to be. He washed me and He regened me and He renewed me by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit went to work. The moment grace comes in, the Holy Spirit goes to work to wash us, to regene us, to turn us over. Six. 
He poured the Holy Spirit out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's a done deal. Having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We do not lose hope of eternal life. We hope for everything in the eternal future that we don't see now. That's part of our Christianity is looking ahead. Eight, this is a faithful saying and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Here we go. These things are good and they're profitable to who? Right here. Your good works make you profitable to men. You are worth something to the world when you let grace work through you. So when I said a moment ago, you eventually become unprofitable, I didn't mean to God. But God doesn't save you in a vacuum. It's all about you. I'm just going to get you to heaven. I used to hear things like, "What? A, you know, boy, the greatest thing that could happen is if when you got saved, God just took you to heaven. Like you got saved, you just died right there and you went on to glory. And that's because we think salvation is about taking us to a place called heaven. When in reality, it's to live the life of God and God cares so much for our neighbor that he actually begins to produce good works out of us so that he can go touch the people in this world. We are a part of that entire process, profitable to the people around us. Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law. They make you, un- they, these things are unprofitable. I want to stay here for a second because verse 9 is, is interesting. This is actually how we spend a big chunk of our Christianity, is verse 9. We get ourselves into foolish arguments about the past, all kinds of contentions, and we strive over the things in the law. This is, this is Church 101. This is the American Church 101. Get into fights about the law and what's right and what's wrong and moral codes and what we should do. You know what they're doing? You know what's happening to us? we're slowly but surely becoming unprofitable and useless. We're just taking up space. And that's why we've got a generation coming up that's going, eh, I'd almost rather do anything else than this. This is a huge waste of time. Plus, when I go in there, they just hate everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's what a new generation is saying. They're walking into the church and they go, that was unprofitable, that was a waste of time, that was useless, and they hate everybody. They hate everybody and they hate everything. And, and we've got entire groups of us that sit in the church and go, yeah, but they don't understand what the holiness of God looks like. And Paul just told Titus, this was 2,000 years ago, by the way, that Paul goes, you're going to have to affirm constantly that people have received the grace of God, that they are righteous by grace and not by works. And you're going to have to affirm constantly that the works that come out of them are the good works of God's grace in them, not the things that they do in order to achieve their salvation. And we've just completely flipped that message. So we don't affirm constantly, we denounce constantly. We don't encourage people to have good works come out of them, we just encourage people to do good works. And until we get back to the core of the grace of God, is not just what saves me, but what keeps me, but what, how I walk this out, we're going to miss this important, this important part of our journey. Two more verses and we'll close this. Reject the device of man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning. This is amazing. Being self-condemned. God doesn't have to get in the position of condemnation over what we do. We self-condemn. This is, I got to believe this isn't Paul's only example of how we self-condemn, but it's a pretty stark one. 
God, just, I don't want to be the divisive man, the divisive man. I, I don't want to be the one who just divides because that's a sin. I'm just doing all I can to divide. I just want to get into fights. Um, Jay made a good comment to me before we started about sitting in church and sometimes things don't go the way you think they ought to go. Song doesn't go the way you think it ought to go. Sermon doesn't go the way you think it ought to go. And our natural instinct is to pull some sort of spiritual grenade out and put it in between our teeth and pull the pen and toss that baby in the room and let everybody know how smart we are. That's our natural instinct. That's because at our core, we're often a divisive man. We really want people, the division needs to be again, my spirituality versus theirs, my intelligence versus their stupidity. That's the dividing line. I'm going to show them they're not doing it right. And we need to take that to the cross and allow grace to crucify that in us. I want to land on one thought tonight that I, that doesn't really, admittedly doesn't really apply to this lesson. I put it at the end because I didn't want to put it at the beginning because I didn't want to get sidetracked knowing that people would search this message out by its title. I thought we'd get right at it. We talked about the wrath of God last week. And we talked about, I talked about it through different lenses and different terms. And then this week, I heard a quote that nailed it for me. And I thought, well, if it nailed it for me, maybe it'll help you. And so I want to put it up. It's short, sweet, and to the point. Pastor Brian Zahn said, God's wrath is divine consent to the destructive nature of sin in our lives. I could not agree more. It's not God punishing us. It's not God coming to get us. It's not God turning on us. It's God's love allowing us to go wherever we want to go. You want to keep doing this and kill yourself? Okay. You can. It's a terrible decision. And I've given you the grace to overcome it. But I will not make you believe. I will not wake you walk in grace. You want to let sin divide you and destroy you? That's what Paul called, he gave them over to their own lusts. That's the, here you go. And another way to say that is that's the wrath of God. So the wrath of God is God's love so intense upon us and our continuous rejection of it is that God in his love has the, the side of that that is God's wrath that says, okay, let sin destroy you if that is what you want to do. But my love remains here I am. Anytime you're ready, reach out and take hold of my hand. Let's pray. Let's just put a little, put a little spirit, a little sprinkling of the water over the seed tonight. Let it do what it'll do. And let it begin. It doesn't have to finish tonight. It won't finish tonight. It never finishes in one sermon, but it begins. Father, we thank you. You are good. Thank you for the inseparable bond between grace and works. We're never going to get away from the fact that you want to work through us as a product of your grace. And we also are thankful that we cannot work our way into your grace. Thank you that I'm in a room tonight with your masterpieces created for good works. They may not know it yet, but they are masterpieces in the hands of the Father. And may you begin to mold us and shape us into who you would have us to be. And may it begin tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.